think we're going to see in this prayer Habakkuk having been impressed by what God has said. And Habakkuk responding to this really in a very different way than what he was speaking back in chapter 1. The more you see God, the more you do listen to what he says, I think you move from the kinds of questions that Habakkuk asks in chapter 1 to the kind of statements that he makes here in chapter 3. So, would somebody read, um, let's do uh, verse 2 verse 7. O Lord, I have heard your speech more than afraid. O Lord, revive the word in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Haran. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his bread. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him with pestilence and fever followed his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. An everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills fell about. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tent of Cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. Okay. Now, look at Habakkuk's attitude. Lord, I've heard the report about you, and I fear. What Habakkuk now sees and hears in God gives him great reverence for God, and he makes an appeal. Really, the only requests he makes in this prayer are in verse 2, at least the way I look at it. And what does he ask God in verse 2? God's wrath to remember his mercy. That's one thing. For God to remember mercy in his wrath, don't we need that? We desperately need need God's mercy. So he asks for God to temper his wrath with mercy. But before that, what does he ask? To revive his words. Yes. God, revive your work. Is that different than saying, God, do what I want you to do? Do you remember Jesus' prayer? The model prayer? What does he want? Your will be done. You know, your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. It is a prayer for God's agenda to be accomplished, God's purpose to be fulfilled, God's work to be done. He doesn't say, God, prosper my work, but renew your work. The more you see God, and the more impressed you are with Him, the more you want His work throughout the time to be alive and well and continue. I think that's changed Habakkuk. I think he has come to really want God to do his work and to fulfill his purpose. I think that is a key element for us. So often we are focused on ourselves and we want things for us. The more reverent and righteous we become, the more we just want God's work to be prosperous. Comments and thoughts on that verse? 
he sees kind of a vision of God. He sees God coming from Teman and Mount Paran, probably a reference to God giving the law on Mount Sinai and leading the people through the various experiences. And he sees God as glorious and splendid and full of praise, like the sunlight. I mean, wow, he sees the majesty and glory of God. As he really as he really thinks about God, he's impressed with his greatness. And he says, there's the hiding of his power. The fact is, all the glory of God we see is still mostly God's glory hidden. What if God displayed all of his glory to us? Oh, yeah. We couldn't have. God must hide almost all his glory and only let us see a glimpse so that we're just not totally overwhelmed. This is Habakkuk's impression of God now. It's his respect for God now. As he's, It's kind of like this. You know, when you... Even if... Even if you did not have God's statements in the book. When you read in the Psalms, some of the, um, what do we call those? Uh, complaint Psalms, what do we call those? No, the complaints. Lament, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, the lament Psalms. Um, you know, David or whoever will start out by complaining, maybe how long, and look at all the terrible things that are happening, and often at the end of those, he expresses great confidence that God will do what's right, and he can trust God, and he comes, he goes from lament to praise. And, and, and many, in many of those psalms, it's like, what happened? How does he go from one to the other? Now, here are some typical explanations that are given. I think not correct. It, it, typically, people will say, well, the psalms were written, that psalm was written over a period of time. The first part was written in the crisis. Then there was a period of time when God solved the crisis, and then he tacks on the thanks of the praise. That's possible, but I don't think that's the best explanation. Some people say that there's, that there's like a priest that gives a message from God saying everything will be okay in the middle of the psalm, and therefore he goes from complaint to praise and thanks. Maybe that's possible. I don't really see that, you know, ever like that in the Bible. I don't think that's a very adequate explanation. Here's what I think the best explanation is. If you're really bothered about something, and you start praying to God about it, you know, think about what happens when you talk to somebody? Anybody you talk face to face with, or even on the phone with, or whatever. When you talk to them, don't you automatically think something about them? Don't you kind of think about how they're hearing you and what they're thinking, and you're kind of focused on them when you talk to them? It's hard not to be. You start talking to God. Who do you start thinking? Even if you're telling God about the things that are bothering you, you're thinking about the Lord. The more you think about Him, the more you talk to Him, 
the more you start trusting Him, the more you start believing that His will will be done, the more gratitude you have, the more praise you have. I think the act of complaining directly to God leads us to have more confidence and faith in God. I think even if God hadn't spoken, the fact that Habakkuk, Habakkuk was directly telling God things focuses his eyes on God makes him more impressed with the greatness and glory of God. That's one of the great things about talking to God. It's one of the blessings. When you're upset about something, when something really bothers you, do turn to God. And do be open with God. And it will in itself increase your faith and confidence. It, you will have a better attitude when you get done with your prayer. If you really are thinking about God as you pray to Him and you're really open to God. That's what I say. Say. I mean, in some ways in my life, I'm praying to God looking for answers a lot of times with prayer is the answer. Us praying and being open is exactly what we need. Yes. And when we expect the Lord to give us something, when it's really what we give the Lord that fixes the problem. And what we give Him in our prayer all the time that does what we do. And so I've done this before and I sometimes, when I'm talking to people, they will say the same thing. Somebody will tell me, you know, I'm really, really upset about something. And, and I'll maybe ask, have you prayed about it? I'm just too upset. I can't pray. <laughs> well, I felt that way. I've done that. Well, I've been too upset. I haven't prayed. Well, you know what happens when I'm upset and I don't pray? Get more upset. Yeah, no, it doesn't help a bit. <laughs> you know, that's what we must do. When something's really bothering us, by all means, pray. Don't ever think, well, I'm just too upset to pray. Never. That is part of how God will help us. So I see Habakkuk questioning God and being open with God as a part of what leads him now to have thought about God enough and he just sees the greatness and glory of God. And, wow, that just changes your whole perspective on everything. If you can really think about and see the majesty and the glory of God, wow. And you see God in all sorts of facets. You know, you see his glory in verses 3 and 4, but you see his entourage in verse 5. Who goes with God? The pestilence and the plague are members of God, God's entourage that accompany him. God deals punishment out to those who deserve it. As we look at God, we know that's true about him. We see that God shakes even what? The hills and the mountains and the earth. And they just collapse. They, mountains and hills are symbols of strength and security. But did you notice what God did to shatter the mountains in verse 6? He stood and looked. <laughs> he looked at them. <laughs> That's pretty powerful. You know, God doesn't you know, even have to, uh, you know, hit his little, his pinky against them. <laughs> He's looked at them, and they melt and are destroyed. You look at God, you see his power, you see his grandeur, and suddenly 
the things that are happening in the, in the world, you see in a whole different perspective. So, I see him meditating on the greatness and glory of God here. Comments and thoughts on this? Just kind of just reiterating what you said about this. That's what produces our trust. Is just thinking about just how great he is and everything that he's done and how powerful he is. I kind of enjoy that's what we saw when we started to Genesis the other day. We just, we just see his power. It changes so much. Kind of Peter, does he look at the waves or at Jesus? He either sinks or walks based upon what he's looking at. We so often look at the worldly problem and not the God who's in control of that. Yeah. Right. And I was going to say just a little, you know, sometimes we're, we say we're too sad or whatever to go to God. And, uh, and I've done this for a while, but in case anyone else is doing this in my ear, I guess it's just worth encouragement. Uh, I used to, I remember I used to, if I'd be so upset over something I did or something in my life in general, uh, I, I would be too upset to assemble, you know, on Sundays with the saints. You know what I mean? I'd be like, like online worthy of worshiping God, or you know, or I'm just not in the mood to go. And 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 truly, that's the answer. I mean, that's what what we need. You know, what I mean, and it, it's down to, and that's just further the point. Where sometimes we don't go to God in prayer. Sometimes I don't even assemble. Um, when I know I used to assemble, so uh, that's what I said. That is the answer. That's what we need to be doing is worshiping God. You know, that's what's going to fix the problem. Have you ever felt really down, really discouraged, and you really didn't want to go to church? How do you feel after you've been there? It's a lot better. A lot better, don't you? I mean, I think we've all felt that. I mean, the chance to be with brethren, the chance to worship God, helps you. You know, the Lord's always the answer. I don't care what the problem is, the Lord's the answer. Shane. And I think a lot of times, you mentioned it, but we may just want to talk about it in the devotion. Is you know like Jay was saying uh, last night with um, talking about the Lord is our King. That I think a lot of times we say that God is our King, but we don't truly live like He's our King. Um, we say it, and, and, and I think we believe it, but we don't feel it, and we don't live like He's our King. And I think if we keep that proper perspective, like you said, you know, I know back when. I was doing, I, I was running with a, with a friend of mine, he wanted to run, he liked to run, endurance run, a couple miles we run, I hated running. But, and I ran slow, and I slowed down as much as I could until I saw the car. And when I saw the car, you better believe I booked into that car, I, I could get home and rest. When I saw the car, I was ready to run as quick as I could. And I think a lot of times it's the same way in our lives, is if we keep perspective on the fact that the Lord is my kingdom, and my God. And we wouldn't want to go to churches because no matter how I feel, I still want to work by my God. And being with the Lord energizes us. Look at what else he says. 8 to 15. O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea? That you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your... Your vow was made quite ready. Hosts were sworn over your arrows. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the waters passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear. 
You marched through the land and into the nation, and you trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying, here, by laying bare from foundation to neck. You thrust through with Onerath, the, the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the foreign secret. You walked through the sea with your horses through the deep of great waters. You know, perhaps you could look at this in several different ways. I'm going to take this as kind of seeing God's uh, history. You know, seeing the things that God has done. You know, have you seen God in battle before? How does that work? He wins. <laughs> yeah. And how does he win? Very triumphantly. It's a good, good verb. Good adjective. Good adjective. Uh, you know, whatever that word is. You know, he really does. He rages against the rivers. Can you imagine, can you think of a time that God dried up the, the, the water? Let's see. God triumphed. You know, he provided salvation. He says in verse 9, your bow was made bare. You know, it's kind of like he takes the boat out of the ship. Probably not a hopeful sign for his enemy when God bears the bow. When he takes the arrows, you know, and prepares to attack. Look at verse 10. The mountains saw you and quaked. You know, all nature's in turmoil when the Lord comes. The downpour of water swept by. Can you think of times when God used downpours of water to defeat his enemies? The flood. Can you think of another one? Battle with the chariots. He made the rain come, and I can't remember what battle it was. Um, the chariots couldn't move because they were stuck in the mud. Remember that one? Where? Who was that? Judges. 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 Five. Who was the enemy? Cicero. Cicero. Yeah. And so forth and so on. You know, God's got a track record of doing some pretty remarkable things to win His battle. Sun and moon stood in their places. Remember that one? Joshua. Yeah. And uh, they went away at the light of your arrows, the radiance of your gleaming spear, in indignation you marched through the earth, in anger you trampled the nations. How many times have you seen God bring down nations and triumph over them for the salvation of your people? You struck the head of the house of evil. Now, when you see God winning the victory over evil forces in the past, what should that make you think? Yeah. God's the same God. He will bring down the wicked also now. That's, that's what we need to understand. Seeing God, thinking about God, gives us a lot more uh, confidence in Him. Look at verse 14. You pierced with His own spears the head of His throngs. You ever seen God do that? Use the very <clears throat> instruments of the wicked against them? Yeah. What killed Goliath? What else can you see that? Haman. Haman! Whose gallows was he hung on? His own. Who else can you see where God used their own instruments to punish them? Gideon. He tried 
Yes, the Midianites who killed them. Themselves. Yeah. <laughs> who else? Daniel's enemies. Daniel's enemies. Remember what happened to those poor fellows? Thrown into their own lines. Yeah, exactly right. And you can go on for a long time coming up with those illustrations. God loves to turn the instruments of the wicked back against them. You know, it's kind of the boomerang principle of uh, God's justice or something. I don't know. Um, you trampled on the sea with horses, your horses on the surge of many waters. So you see God triumphantly riding across the earth, bringing down the wicked and, and gaining the victory. Once you see that, don't think that he can't do it again. He's done it over and over again. That's the principle of God. So, Habakkuk comes to be much more awed by God and much more confident in him as he looks at the greatness and majesty of God and as he looks at God's track record. Comments and questions? Pretty impressive, don't you think? Looking at God always helps us. There is a, uh, a song that we sing in Jequié, in Brazil, of 17 and 18. I already like 17 and 18, and I really like the song. In Jequié, it's common for them to say, turn to such and such a passage, and we'll sing that. You know, they do that probably more than they sing songs out of their songbook. They just sing passages. And this is one of their favorite passages to sing. And it's a tremendous passage. So think about what he says here. I heard and my inward parts trembled. The sound my lips quivered, decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. So, in 16, how does Habakkuk feel? He's afraid. Thinking about God, he's afraid. What's he waiting for? I think so. He's in wait, He's waiting for Babylon to invade. He knows that's what's going to happen. That's what God told him would happen. But, in the worst possible scenario, no matter how bad it gets, what is he determined to do? Not just to endure it. Not just to tough it out or hang in there. But because of his vision of God, in the worst possible scenario, 
I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Because He is the great God. No matter what happens, He's on His throne. He will win the victory. And we rejoice in Him. I don't care how bad the unemployment rate is. <laughs> I don't care how many terrorists blow up buildings. I don't care how bad the cancer gets. You know, I don't care how many brethren turn against us and away from the Lord. And you just add to all those whatever issues and concerns you have. No matter what, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He's made my feet like hind's feet, like, uh, you know, feet that, that are sure-footed and, and have energy and strength. He makes me walk on my high places. Habakkuk ends up on top of the mountain because he trusts in God, because he lives by faith, despite the calamity and chaos that exist in his life, that exist around him. God's his strength. If God's your strength, well, okay. The fig tree isn't blossoming and there's no figs. And the olive trees aren't producing anything. And there's no sheep and there's no cattle and there's no food. But God's my strength. That is so awesome. I just think, you know, if we could read and be impressed with what Habakkuk is feeling right here every day. It would change everything. Because in this scenario, what happens is irrelevant. God is the only thing that matters. Comments and questions? John. First John 5, 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Amen. Bob. Interesting point. You look at the structure of the book. He has three verses at the beginning of the book of complaint and 19 verses of praise at the end. That's an interesting contrast. This book is summed up in chapter 2. God answers his question. And I marked in my book um, verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, chapter 2, verse 14, and chapter 2, verse 20. If you read those three together, it's the answer to uh, Habakkuk. And that would be, let the earth keep silence before him, for he is in his holy temple. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of him, and the just man will live by his faith. So what makes the difference for Habakkuk? He's trusting in God. Seeing God, trusting in God, being filled with awe and amazement at the glory and greatness of God. It all depends on what we look at and the perspective from which we see it. You look at it from God's perspective, it doesn't look the same way as when you look at it from ground zero. That's what we've got to have. We've got to see God. Because we are going to face tough things. Every once in a while, 
the figs, the olives, the sheep, and the cattle will all die. And there's nothing we can do. And it's hopeless. Every once in a while, Judah is going to be disastrous in battle and worse. That's going to happen. This is not a book that says you never go through any problems if you're a Christian. But it's a book that says when you look at it from God's perspective, you rejoice in the Lord and He's your strength no matter what happens. It's a really powerful, powerful ending. And you know, it makes it more important to really see things from God's eyes and really see God. Because that changes everything. Other comments? Very good. That's a, it's a great ending to a great book. I wish I could sing. I'd sing you the uh, Portuguese version of those two verses, but you don't want to hear that. But it's cool. And uh, maybe Ryan can learn that. We will be in <laughs>